Well, welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. It is thoughtful conversation, or so we aim, mm-hmm. about the news of the day, and we address the existential threats to America. And elections can sometimes be existential threats to America. And uh, one's coming up, and uh, we're going to focus on it with our guy, Sean Trendy. He's a senior election analyst for Real Clear Politics. Claude, any word about any of this? What do you want to tell the audience? Well, you know, just listening to that Sean Trendy interview. In, interview. Oh, you know, by the way, go back and listen to a lot of the other um, interviews as well. I mean, I'm just thinking about the uh, one we had with our friend Wade Eyerly, um when it comes to the um, uh, insurance for tuition. Excuse me. We've got one coming up um, as well with John Hinderocker, where you guys go kind of really deep on this subject of work and men at work and, and what's going on with the workforce. Yeah. Um, that's going to be really, really good. Um, also, of course, we had Governor Bill Lee of Tennessee on. We did a special feature with him. Uh-huh. Um, and I just want to mention, we had Phil Steele on uh, not too long ago yeah. with the college football <laughs> preview. He had mentioned that my Terps could score a lot, and if they can get this defense together, they could. They had a, they kept, kept it close with Michigan. They beat Michigan State. You know, I feel as if we, we're looking good with, with Purdue, Indiana, and Northwestern coming up. We can win the, those next three. You know, we're, we're playing. We're playing maybe in, in in a bigger bowl than the Cheese Its Bowl, but we'll see. Cheese Its Bowl. <laughs> the situation is clarifying. Um, you know, I'm an Alabama fan. A lot of people think that's just not very interesting. You know, mm-hmm. but uh, there was some doubt about them this year. Now they're back at number one because Georgia really stumbled against Missouri, right? And uh, was losing for a lot of the game. Alabama seems to have hit its stride. I thought they'd have trouble. Uh, in Arkansas against Arkansas, but they didn't have any trouble at all. At all. At uh, all. The, the, you know, A&M is now the target this Saturday. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think they have Tennessee. And then, you know, within those games, they're, they're home free. I, they, look, they look like the best. Now, my question is, what's going on in the West? Are USC and UCLA for real? They seem to be playing very they well. They seem to be. What about yeah. Oregon, which is wiping everybody up, which is wiping them up? Mm-hmm. It started with a total disaster against Georgia. Right. So right. have they recovered? Are they good? They're going to have to work really hard to get back in. That was such a miserable opening they had. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I interrupted you. You think they're good, USC, UCLA, Oregon? Yeah, I, I do. I think they, I think I think they're good. But I think even long term, you've got to think if you're in the Pac-12 now with the um, college football playoff expanding, do you really want to leave the Pac-12 to go to the Big Ten? I mean, if you're Texas and Oklahoma, do you really want to leave the Big 12 to go to the SEC when now, you know, those teams, at least two of them can be, almost be guaranteed a spot in the playoff if you stay where you are? Um, you know, if you're if you're UCLA and USC, do you really want to compete with Michigan and Ohio State year after year and have to travel that much? And, you know, what does Notre Dame do? Uh, they got off to a very slow start this season. I just think that long term, you know, if, if, if UCLA is back and USC, you know, if they're back, you might want to reconsider the move. You might want to think it, think it over. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Maybe we should get Phil back on midseason here in a couple of weeks. Absolutely. If you're like me, you're growing more and more concerned about the future. Inflation is at its highest level in 40 years. Interest rates are skyrocketing. And market experts like Jamie Dimon, CEO of J.P. Morgan, not only predicted a recession, but they're using terms like economic hurricane and unprecedented. If you want to protect your future, call the precious metal dealers at American Hartford Gold. 
They can show you how to protect your savings and retirement accounts by diversifying your portfolio with physical gold and silver. All it takes to get started is a short phone call, and they'll have physical gold and silver delivered right to your door or inside your IRA or 401k. They make it easy. They are the highest rated firm in the country with an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau, the BBB, and thousands of satisfied clients. If you give them a call right now, they will give you up to $1,500 of free silver on your first qualifying order. So don't wait. Call them now. Call 855-761-3008. That's 855-761-3008. Or text Bennett, B-E-N-N-E-T-T, Bennett, to 998-899. Again, that's 855 855- 761-3008 or text Bennett to 998899. Joining us now is Sean Trendy, Senior Election Analyst for Real Clear Politics. First of all, do we believe the polls or not? That's A. B, when we ask you who's going to win this, what's your guess, what's your hunch, what's your belief. Are you relying on polls or what are you relying on? What's your what's your evidence or, or your database? Yeah, obviously, the polls have been less than spectacular in some recent elections. Um, and that's something that, that we pay attention to, obviously, at, at RCP. But um, I think I think polls still give you a better picture of where things stand than just your kind of gut feeling. Um what you have to do always is remember that these are imperfect instruments that shouldn't be taken as holy writ. Um, and so I do rely on the polls, but I also look at other factors and, you know, I don't check my common sense at the door. What are the other factors you look at? So I do look at presidential job approval, um, you know, because that has been more reliable over time. And then you can as, a, at- as a predictor, as a predictor of results. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, Is that more reliable than right direction, wrong direction? Yeah. Right direction, wrong direction is almost always negative, uh, which is kind of a I laugh, but it's kind of a sad commentary. The only time it's ever been positive recently was during the immediate aftermath of Uh 9-11. So, yeah, the, the right direction, wrong direction doesn't predict well. But, uh, you know, we, we okay. have we have other things like the Washington primary that actually predicts reasonably well. Um, so there, there are other indicators. Let me ask the last question first. I had a list of questions for you, obviously, about the House and Senate and governors and so on. Here's the last one. And it's a surprise question. We didn't tell you it was coming. But it's a surprise question about a surprise. Tell us, uh, give us a surprise. Tell us one that you think uh, is going to happen that uh, we may not be aware of. Well, if I told you, it wouldn't be a surprise. Well, well, it wouldn't be a surprise after <laughs> you. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't, this isn't going to be going out terribly far on a limb, but I think uh, I think things are likely uh, to break pretty heavily against Democrats in these last few uh, weeks. And I, I think you're going to see the Colorado and New Hampshire Senate races become very competitive. Oh, really? Yeah. So what's his name? O'Day in uh, Colorado taking on Bennett. Yep. And uh, Baldock taking on uh, Maggie uh, Hassan. I had a lot of conversations with political types about New Hampshire and 
they were very worried about Bolduc, uh, and they wanted the other guy. I can't remember his name. I think state senator or something. And it was very close. who got the Republican nomination. Bolduc is a, is a, in New Hampshire, is a, is a Trump choice, correct? Uh, I don't know how much Trump campaigned for him. The Democrats ran ad on, ads on his behalf. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, care, be careful what you wish for. I'm not sure either of them is going to win, but I think those elections are going to surprise people with how close they are. Okay. Well, let me ask you what I just saw on TV. Old friend of mine, Carl Rove, said, I see three outcomes for the Senate. 50-50, 51 Democrats, 51-49 Republicans. I said, hey, Carl, this isn't particularly gutsy. You know? Come on. Uh, so uh, they pushed him a little bit, which is the most likely. He said 51-49 Senate. Yes, no? Yeah. Um, of those three, I, I don't I don't really see how Democrats gain a seat. Um, I, I just, you know, to, to gain a seat, it looks now like Johnson is up. Yeah, obviously, losing the Pennsylvania Senate race is the first. I can see that Republicans losing that. Um, you can see that. You, I can, that is Dr. Oz losing to Fetterman. Yeah. Let's stick to Pennsylvania. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a conservative. Everybody knows that. But you don't have to be a conservative to say, what the hell is this Fetterman candidate? <laughs> I mean, Pennsylvania is not a dark blue state that's going to vote Democrat anyway, right? It's kind of a swing state, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's 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 funny. It's not funny, but like you can only be too conservative for a state, right? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Like the narrative will never be like, Democrats messed up by nominating a radical instead of a centrist like Connor Lamb. Um, you know, same thing with Wisconsin. The the, the idea, the, the narrative will never be clearing the field for Mandela Barnes was a bad idea. But yeah, I, I think Fetterman's kind of out there. And as his record has gotten out there, and obviously he has health problems as well, but as his record's gotten out there, this race is closed. Um, he could still win, but I, I wouldn't bet the family farm on it. They are having a debate, right? Yeah, and I think at, at the end of October, and you know, that's we'll see how he does. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, not the least making light or fun of his physical condition, but it is kind of ironic. You got this guy with a bad health issue, maybe had a stroke, and then you have Doctor Oz. Is there any way Doctor Oz can use that and say, "Hey, in the last five minutes of this debate, let me give you an exam." <laughs> I think he has to be careful. Yeah, I guess that's right. Okay. I think that would be satisfying for the uh, for Republicans in the audience, but he he just has to really be careful with that. But but I, I guess he just says, you know, you're way out there. You're too far out for Pennsylvania. Yeah, right? I, I think he needs to attack Fetterman's record and beliefs. And you know, if there are health issues, if Fetterman is confused or has trouble speaking, you know, I think that speaks for itself. Let it speak for itself. Let that be a show. Don't tell. Okay. What about um, it's kind of reverse. What about Georgia? Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Her- Herschel Walker's been having his troubles lately, but he's apparently still in the fight. How do you see that? One? You know, if you'd asked me that at the beginning of the week, I would have said it looks like Walker's going to pull this off. Uh-huh. Um, 
You know, I, I think the staunch pro-lifers, this isn't going to move them because whatever short moral shortcomings Herschel Walker may have, he'll still vote the right way in the Senate. And Warnock is, you know, favors unlimited abortion with public funds and will vote to keep pro-life judges off the bench. The danger is the either that some pro-lifers stay home, say, I'm not going to pick, I'm not going to vote for the lesser of two evils right? That's still evil. Um, or, you know, kind of swing voters who aren't really motivated by abortion, but just think this hypocrisy thing is a bridge too far for Walker. You know, this is one, I think it goes to a runoff now, and we'll see what happens oh, with the runoff electorate. Oh, and that runoff would be January, right? Yep. Let me ask you about one other Senate race and then ask a broader question. Arizona. You'd ask me at the beginning of the week, I would have said Kelly. Um, now I'm not so sure. I think Masters, the Republican, may be gaining. But Kelly, do you think that's fair assessment? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this was, I never really expected if, you know, it's Arizona, yeah, Biden carried it by less than a point. It's still, you know, a reddish state, has red DNA. Um, so that was always going to tighten. Now, whether Masters is going to pull it off, I'm a little more skeptical about that, but it'll be close. Now, looking at Arizona, in what state or states will this rising support, increased support for the Republican Party from Hispanics make a difference? You know, I think the one where it probably makes the biggest difference, assuming it plays out, is, is going to be Nevada. You know, I think uh, I think Adam Laxalt may have a surprisingly easy win. Um, just and he's her. running against a Hispanic woman Democrat, right? She's partly yeah. Hispanic, or whatever that means. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, Nevada's a state where Democrats had done well because they had a lot of Hispanic voters and working class white voters. But as those voters have shifted uh, rightward, it's made it increasingly inhospitable for Democrats. So yeah, yeah. And, and it'll make a difference in some House races? Yeah. You know, the Democratic, uh, it's definitely like House races in Texas on the Rio Grande Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Right, you know, right, right. You know, there's there's a chance there won't be a, de- it'll be three Latina uh, Republicans from South Texas. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be very interesting. Okay. Problems for the narrative. What's accounting for that shift? What's happened over the last few cycles is that conservative Hispanics, self-identified conservative Hispanics, have started voting Republican. And basically, Hispanics are becoming more like whites in their voting patterns. Uh, And I do think some of that is probably culture war stuff that a lot of Hispanic voters don't buy into. Someone told me once, if in a presidential race, the Republican got 11 or 12 percent of the black vote. There'd be no way you could lose. It'd be very, very difficult because that's what keeps Democrats in the game, in the game in a lot of the Rust Belt states. Let's go where most people thought we should have started this interview, Sean. Um, The House. House goes Republican. Yes. And by how much? I think almost certainly. I know there are people who think Democrats have a real chance. I'm just not convinced um i think you could see a scenario house races take shape late in the game and so we still don't really know exactly how they're going to go um i'd say 10 to 30 republican seats is a reasonable estimate right now that's enough to botch things up for biden right 
Yeah, I mean, Biden's legislative agenda is pretty much done at that point, and it's just a question of foreign policy and how much the Supreme Court will let me let him, you know, do executive orders. Governors. Um, some surprises there. So the obvious, not a surprise, but obviously the Democrats probably, you know, should get Massachusetts and Maryland. The big surprise is Oregon, uh, where you know, Republicans have a serious candidate running. The incumbent Democratic governor is unpopular. And there's a third party candidate who has gained real traction running as a moderate. And so what are the, what are the rules out there? It's just a, it's it's a mail in election. Um, Republicans haven't run the, won the governorship since 1982. Wow. Um, so it would be monumental uh, for them to win that. What are the names? It's Christine Drazen, D-R-A-Z-A-N, is the Republican, and Tina Kotek, K-O-T-E-K, and then uh, Denise Smith is running as the, not Denise Smith, Betsy Johnson is running as the independent. What are the rules meaning? Last time I saw it, it was like uh, the Republican had like 34 and the Democrat 31 and the other one 17 or something. Uh, How how does it work? Is there a runoff or whoever gets the most votes or or what? What, what, what How do they do it there? First past the post. So whoever gets, you know, you can win with 36% of the vote. Whoever gets the most votes. Is that right? Yep. Yep. None None of this crazy, you know, rank choice voting or runoffs or anything. So there's a real chance she wins. What about this? Okay, that's true. She is, a, I think, a nurse uh, and uh, married to a, a, a veteran who saw action. And she's got a very, very kind of interesting background. There's, a, there's an interesting story there that is Drazen. Is that how you say her name? Yeah. You know, and there's issues. I mean, there's been uprisings in Portland now for two years. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, I, I think she has some real uh leverage on certain issues you know she won't have a friendly legislature and that'll limit her but she yeah. would she would hold the governorship well close to my interest that's the state that basically legalized every drug uh and uh i think it's sheer madness i think it's playing out as sheer madness and portland what the heck you know <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah um governor race in arizona is getting a lot of attention um I know Karen Robeson, Karen Taylor, who lost to the Republican nominee. Fairly close, but this race now is very tight. Yeah, so Carrie Lake is the victor. She's the Trumpier candidate. Right, Trumpier. And Trump, Trumpier, Trump picked, right? Trump. Yeah. Yep. Trump selected, Trump supported. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and, and I had a friend, I have a friend who lives out in Arizona who's kind of a never-Trump Republican. And her take was, you know, Lake has some out there views, but she has been on television for decades. And a lot of people. Yeah, she's don't. A, a news news host or something, right? That's right. And she says a lot of people don't vote. And she's right. Don't vote on like voting records and issues. If you have someone who's telegenic, who knows how to communicate and who doesn't come across as out there, um, it makes an impact. And she, she has run a very good campaign and her opponent has not. Um, her opponent refused to debate her. And so she went out there and had a bunch of debates where she's debating an empty podium and it's made for some great photo ops. And, uh, 
she's just run us a very smart campaign so far. One of the uh, races that I, I, I don't know if it's worth talking about, but there just seems to be a lot of criticism of the governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, and the Republican running against her. Hard for a Republican to win. Who was the last governor, Republican governor of New York? Was that George Pataki? Yeah. Um, do you see anything there? I'm, I'd be pretty surprised if the Republican won. Uh, New York's just such a Democratic state now. This crime issue, how important is it? I think it depends on the voter. Here in Columbus, Ohio, it doesn't really register with me. I mean, like we've had some, we've had some shootings, you know, within a few miles of our house that I'm aware of. So there's some states where I think it matters, where it doesn't, you know, here in Columbus, Ohio, it just doesn't matter that much. We've had, you know, some violence near our, within a few miles of our house, which we didn't have before, but it's not in my mind. If you live in a place like Baltimore, which has seen a big spike in the murder rate, maybe it affects you. Um, so it really just depends on how people are experiencing uh, the crime wave. Education isn't going to turn any state, is it? I don't, any think, I don't think so. You know, I think now that all, you know, to my knowledge, all the schools are open. Most don't have mask mandates anymore. People have short memories. And I think a lot of that has faded into the background. So uh, Glenn Youngkin looks like a kind of one-off in Virginia. Yeah, I don't know about, you know, how one-off he is. It's just the the issue matrix has changed somewhat. And especially, you know, now we're talking about things like inflation and road yeah, Wade. Yeah. It's just different issues. At the same time, though, it seems to me, Sean, uh, and, you know, you, you can push back on this because I, you know, this is an issue I care about. And I was once the secretary of education. Um, and as someone said, I love the quote, every anthropologist loves his own tribe. Whether it figures dramatically in, in this election or not, it does seem to me Republicans have gained some ground, like ground they've gained with the Hispanic vote on the issue of education. Yeah, I think uh, I, th- I do think that's right. I think the um, Republicans have a message which they haven't had in a while. And so that helps. Do you think Donald Trump is likely to be the Republican nominee? I do. You do? Yeah, I, I think I, I think if he if he runs which maybe he doesn't, but I think, you know, people, there's some wish casting that maybe he won't, you know, they're saying maybe he won't, but I think deep down most people know that he will. And, um, and if he does, he'll crush who DeSantis in the primary. Yeah. There's two things going on. The first is Donald Trump's still popular among Republicans. You know, the second thing is that the never Trumpers have convinced themselves that, that, the only way DeSantis beats Trump is if it's one-on-one. But there's a wing of the Republican Party that's convinced themselves that DeSantis is, you know, the same as Trump. And so they're trying to push in a Liz Cheney or a Larry Hogan, who will go nowhere, but might oh, soak no. up. Yeah, might soak up 5 to 10% of the vote that would otherwise, yeah. of the anti-Trump vote. Uh, so I just, I, I think it's very unlikely that he loses. If it weren't Trump, would it be DeSantis likely today? I think so. I mean, he's the only he's the only governor with the profile and the fundraising apparatus. And who knows when you actually get exposed to the the light of the campaign trail? But 
I, I think. No, I, there's no campaign like running for president. There's no press drilling like you get when you're running for president, even if you're the governor of a big state like Florida, which is now a big state. Really yeah, big state. third largest state in the country. Um, so what are they? California, uh, California, Texas, Florida. You know, I would have thought Rubio was going to do really well in 2016. And then, you know, he got his moment in the sun in that debate and just botched it. So who knows what DeSantis would actually be like, but he would be my pick right now. So I remember talking about this with, I think it was Byron York, who's a smart guy, right? Yeah. And and Byron said, well, then it's got to be Kamala, because there's no way they could throw her to the side. The heart and soul of the Democrat Party, in terms of voting, is black, black female voting block. And they can't throw Kamala aside. But I, I remember I said, but she's not popular, you know, back to what we were saying earlier, Sean. You know, she was the first one to drop out. She wasn't popular with anybody. I, you know, I'm not convinced Biden won't run. I agree with you that he is yeah. really showing decline. But at the end of the day, if he decides, and everybody to, knows it. Everybody knows it. Everybody sees it. A lot of people don't see what's right in front of their nose, though, right? Um, and if he runs, I think they're going. You know, if, he, if he decides he wants to run, they're going to have to pull him over the finish line again. But. Um, if he doesn't, I kind of agree. Like, I, I think Kamala Harris is a bad politician. She almost lost her attorney general race in 2010 when every other Democrat on the ticket was winning by double digits. She got kneecapped by Tulsi Gabbard, of all people, in a Democratic debate. I, I don't think she'll go unchallenged, but I don't see how they can dump her. Oh, you don't? Okay. But she's very weak, I mean. They would know they'd be putting up a weak, not popular, you know, stuff she's shown us over the last two years. It's not impressive. I tend to agree, but I just don't see how you toss aside the first black Asian woman. It's two two Democratic interest groups, you know, and, you know, I think a lot of the feminist left is angry that Hillary got passed over in 2008, lost in 2016, and then you didn't end up with you know, Harris or Klobuchar or, or whoever in 2020. I, I just, I don't see how you then nominate another man in that party. Claude, you want to read that email? Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. So this one has to do with something we started with early in the show about um, skepticism in the accuracy of, of polls. And so this is from George in Santa Rosa. I won't, I won't um, read the whole thing, but essentially he's talking about skepticism with the polls. He says, uh, you know, I understand that polls need a large representative sample. However, given the demise of landlines, the growth of caller ID, it's probably tough for pollsters to ob- obtain credit samples. Uh, he says a lot of people don't answer calls from unknown numbers. Um, and so how do pollsters ensure that they're obtaining a representative sample? And then furthermore, Republicans, uh, he says specifically have the distrust for pollsters and just wondering, you know, when it comes to like, a, you know, some sort of confrontational approach with polls, several people provide false or misleading answers to the pollsters to discredit them. So uh, how can pollsters shine kind of validate or or provide information that people can trust uh, given some of these technological things and then also just an overall distrust of pollsters? You know, I think the first issue uh, is the easier one. Um, You know, the way that you get around that is what's called waiting. Uh, W-E-I-G-H-T-I-N-G. What you do is when uh, you don't get enough, we, we know what the 
portion of a state that is from the census that is black or or whatever is. So if you get a sample in Georgia and it's only 14% black, you count the black respondents you have twice, basically. And that gets you up to a sample that's 28% black. Um, That's the easy part. What's tough is the second issue that he talked about, which is the lack of trust in polls. Because we don't know what the population we don't know what a representative sample of trust in media should look like. And I do think, you know, lack, we do know that lack of trust is one of the in institutions is one of the defining characteristics of Trump voters. Um, and so I, it, that is a very difficult problem to solve. Uh, what do you do when people who don't trust institutions aren't willing to pick up the phone or talk to their friendly neighborhood pollster from MSNBC? Um, uh, that that is an insuperable question. How do they? Let me interrupt. How do they get the numbers? Phone numbers? You can buy lists. Okay, and and are the phone numbers landlines? Um, it depends on the mode of the poll. Um, you you can poll uh, cell phones. You just can't do robo polling of them. Uh, but yeah, the demise of landlines is a problem. The caller ID not so much of a problem because no one picks. You know, it, it's kind of well evenly distributed that very few people pick up their phones so you're you just have to call a lot more people make a lot more attempts uh to get your sample but it's not going to be biased because of people not picking up the phone but you say it's evenly distributed that is people who ignore the call evenly distributed between republicans and democrats yeah is it less reliable than it was 10 years ago or 20 years ago yeah it's more that it's harder and any time it becomes harder, you introduce uncertainty. Um, you know, it used to be you could call 2,000 people and you would, in the 80s, you could call 2,000 people and you'd get your representative sample um, of 1,500 people because almost everyone picked up the phone and then they would talk to the pollster. You know, now you have to call that several thousand people to get your sample of 500 and uh, then you have to do all kinds of waiting and it just add, it just introduces added uncertainty. But you know, the polls did pretty well up until 2016 when this this Trump dimension got added to it. And that that Trump slash trust dimension is, is something that people were really struggling with. Weren't the polls kind of accurate, though, for Trump? I mean, I remember people saying he's got to draw to an inside straight, right? He, he did have to draw <laughs> to an inside straight. And he did. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, they weren't. You know, people talk about it like they were 20 or 30 points off, and they weren't. They were off by, like, five points. And that can be significant. Don't get me wrong. Uh, but, you know, the, the is- that, that was the issue was that, you know, in some of, the, some of these states, you know, they, like Ohio was supposed to be close, and he won it by 10 points. So in particular, like, upper, like, Midwestern states have been really, really challenging to poll recently. Um, yeah. And it's just, it's a headache. Yeah. Let me, let me ask you about that, about five points being significant. When you said that, I remember an article I saved for years. You may be familiar with it. Michael Barone wrote it. It was called the 49% nation. Mm-hmm. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, we're, we're, we're divided. We're balkanized and we're pretty much, you know, 49, 49 or 48, 48 or 47, 47, red and blue. Uh, is that, is that still true? I think it is uh, basically right. You know, our, our 
are presidential elections. You know, the Democrats have had two or three, have had, you know, three point wins in the last three for the popular vote, but our key states, which is what actually people actually compete for, you know, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, those states are all very, very close. Um, you know, we've had the pop, big popular vote wing wins swinging, you know, with Republicans winning by six points in 2010 and 2014, Democrats winning by eight um, in 2018. But the, the median of that all is like 50-50. Uh, so we just don't, we aren't in the era of 1984-style wins being possible, it seems. Uh, it seems like we're a pretty closely divided country. And so, yeah, those five-point errors can make a big difference. Talk to me a little bit about the moderates, the middle. Suburban voters are tricky uh, because I think they kind of have, they have Republican DNA, right? Most of them have voted Republican at some point in their lives. They're diversifying, though. Um, so that changes things. They're no longer lily white. Um, and I think you have a, you know, I think... These voters right now are kind of conditionally Democrat. They're not crazy about some of the Republican stances on social issues, but they're Demo- they, they will vote Democrat as long as the Democrats kind of keep their end of what I call the Clintonian bargain. You know, we're going to be fighting about the upper tax bracket being 35% or 40%, not 70 or 80%. Well, you start to get some of these Democrats nominated who want to go back to the days of 70, 80% top income tax rates, and you could see big swings in the suburbs. But for this election, you know, I think they're not happy about some of what happened with the shutdown, not crazy about what's going on in some of the schools, but I I do think the increased salience of the abortion issue has insulated the Democrats a little bit there. I didn't ask you about that, but you raised it, Sean, abortion. It will play. It will help the Dems, right? You know, even now... We see that, and this has always been the case, that most people don't list abortion as their first choice. And most of the people who do are fairly evenly split. Um, so directly, it doesn't have that much of an impact. Where I think it has indirect impact is, first, I think you had some Democratic voters who kind of unenthused, underwhelmed by the Biden administration. Maybe they weren't planning on voting. Now they vote. Uh, so it, it helped Democratic enthusiasm. And second, you know, it shifted it shifted the discussion from kitchen table issues like inflation uh, to social issues where the Republican Party, especially in the suburbs, is a little bit less popular. Uh, so I, I think it makes a, a slight impact. I don't think it's as uh, – we'll see. If Democrats have a historic night, uh, then I think, you know – you would absolutely look to the Dobbs decision. But really, I think it's probably the difference between Republicans gaining 30 to 40 seats and then gaining 20 to 30 seats. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have a good one. Our guy. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. That does it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes of the show, go to thebillbennettshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at William J. Bennett. You can like me on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. Feel free to email the show. I'd love to hear from you. It's BillBennettPodcast at gmail.com. Please share the podcast with your family and your friends, and we will catch up next week.